well, and then you go to the other, next page, and there's another uh, person wearing extraordinarily small amounts of clothing. Oh, wait, here's one for Kenneth Cole fragrances. And you know the best part? It's a scratch and sniff. Yes, just like John Waters. Is that his name? You know, it's on the cologne side. And, oh, look, and it, it, here's the cologne right next to a woman who's stretched out over some archaeological exhibition. Exhibition. Look, and here's Calvin Klein. Man. The only other ads that you find in here are for uh, the usual things you'd find in a sports magazine. Cars, trucks, and beer. Here's a truck ad. We asked this swimsuit model to demonstrate our new tailgate step, which is the thing she's got her right foot on. Like, you're not supposed to notice that she's standing on a truck. You're just supposed to be looking at her, you know... Hardly covered naughty bits, I suppose. You heard it here first. Yeah. Oh, and here's a Jeep Wrangler. And they're all, and all the ads are uh, are in the mood of the rest of the magazine featuring uh, scantily clad bikini babes. Only here's a Calvin Klein ad featuring a scantily clad man. This is providing a little bit of gender neutrality here. Suit issues for everyone. On one side, there's a, a beautiful woman with, uh, you know, hardly anything on, and next to her is a beautiful man with hardly anything on. Uh, only he's wider than she is. In fact, it looks like he's been digitally widened because I don't think actually any people look like this. First, on the other hand, the women in the magazine are all digitally thinnered. How do you say the opposite of widened? <laughs> they, they, instead of making them wider, they make them thinner. And, of course, you can find several examples where the, you, you're sure somewhere in this picture there must be a nipple, but, but there's not. So you can thank our airbrush friends for that. Well, thank you, Alex. That's all for our sports report. Make sure to pick up that Sports Illustrated. Yes, and buy lots of beer. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And how appropriate that ABBA was the intro music. Uh, John McCain was uh, going to use ABBA for his uh, sort of campaign theme song, only he found out the royalties were too high. <laughs> and of course it was, uh, take a chance on me. <laughs> And as he uh, jokingly put it, I don't know uh, how that would have gone over here in America with a Swedish <laughs> sort of disco group. Well, he could have always gone with the uh, song from La Cajia Fall that uh, worked so smashingly for the uh, anti-gay Republicans back during the convention some years past. But it's worth noting that uh, ABBA, although they are Swedish, 
are uh, heftily uh, capitalist and entrepreneurial when the uh, Iron Curtain still stood. They uh, were interested in selling their records uh, on all shores and, in fact, uh, set up a corporation whereby Eastern Bloc countries could buy ABBA records by trading commodities for them. And so, uh, little known fact about ABBA there. <clears throat> by the way, just on behalf of uh, WCBN listeners uh, everywhere, I think the variation in the sports program that normally precedes this was readily apparent today. And while on average that was probably a better than a typical sports show, I still see no reason uh, to punish the listener with Christopher Cross. Sailing. Sailing by Christopher Cross. <laughs> Anyway, uh, maybe a sport, but a poor song. <laughs> FCC decorum prohibits my uh, use of a more accurate epithet for that tune. But <laughs> Anyway, nicely done. Nicely done. And one guy that's not sailing is John McCain. He's, uh, you know, the New York Times article... It, there's been way too much discussion of this in the uh, in the media coverage this week. I'll just uh, briefly say that you know the the headline of it is for McCain self confidence on ethics poses its own risk. It's basically about the divergence between McCain's rhetoric and his actual connections to lobbyists, etc. Now I think that the unfortunate thing about the story uh, that was written by Jim Rutenberg, Marilyn Thompson, David Kirkpatrick, and Steve Labatton. Uh, some of them very, uh, I don't know, prestigious investigative reporters, is the second paragraph about the uh, female lobbyist. But this is an example where the uh, cable TV networks are the ones that have gone gaga over this story and have distorted uh, it, the contents of it. What's the first glimmer of sex? Sex. In but the campaign season uh, thus far. One great example is the, is the picture of... Uh, Vicky Eisman in the in the actual newspaper article. There's just a headshot of her. It's the cable news shows that were showing the full evening gown, making her look like a vixen courtesan, Sports <laughs> Illustrated swimsuit model, perhaps a lobbyist. <laughs> <laughs> well, McCain is hardly the guy you'd 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 think to become embroiled in a sex scandal. Yes I mean, and no. Lo lobbyist scandal, sure. Yeah. And and that's actually what the article is about. It's and kind of trollish uh, on the desirability spectrum. And stay tuned. I mean, there may be more bombshells in this whole thing. Obviously, if some of McCain's non-denial denials prove to be uh, inaccurate, uh, he could be in big trouble. But I think that there were other stories last week that get to the heart of the matter about McCain and uh, his connections to lobbying uh, that we need not go into. And obviously, we'll sort of let this play out over the next couple of weeks because it is sort of interesting that this uh, originated as a Matt Drudge uh, internet thing. And this is an example, once again, I think, of sometimes how... That began as a Drudge report item? The Yeah, the... Oh, the Republicans really do hate McCain, then. Yeah, and Drudge, of course, is, an, is a McCain opponent. Uh, so the motives here are very interesting. And, of course, the, the um, sort of the deconstruction of how the media got or the, how the New York Times actually published this story was that the New Republic was about to 
publish a story about why the New York Times wasn't publishing the story. Mm. So um, I think that if the New York Times had left out the second paragraph, which I'll just read, the article would have been fine and nobody would have paid any attention to it, probably, except the real news junkies. But uh, that paragraph reads, a female lobbyist had been turning up with him at fundraisers, visiting his offices, and accompanying him on clients' corporate jets. Convinced that the relationship had become romantic, some of his top advisors intervened to protect the candidate from himself, which is a very bizarre uh, wording there, instructing staff members to block the woman's access, privately warning her away, and repeatedly confronting him. Several campaign people involved said on the condition of anonymity. Um, seems harmless, but obviously that's what the tabloids and the cable TV news shows have jumped all over. And, uh, of course, just because something seems romantic doesn't, in fact, mean that it is. Exactly. And, of course, the uh, editor of the New York Times has justified including that paragraph to give the story its, its full context. Um, so, um, and, you know, the Times goes on to uh, state that they never had a romantic relationship. So it's a little unclear to me what's inaccurate about this story. Uh, McCain, of course, has basically said, I'm not going to comment about it anymore, and we'll see what happens. But uh, I think there's been a lot of, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is, hysteria about this article. And I think that uh, perhaps more investigations into John McCain's uh, connections to lobbyists do need to be exposed because he's trying to portray himself as some sort of kind of holier-than-thou character. And... Uh, Lobbying is part of the Washington uh, way. I mean, there's a very famous book about the role of interest groups and lobby lobbyists and how legislation legislation is drafted, and it's it's part of American politics. Um, and of course, say uh, la vie. I don't think this is going to uh, hurt McCain unless, of course, some of his uh, deni non denial denials uh, prove to be inaccurate. So we will see, but I suspect that the New York Times has more in the pipeline on this subject, and uh, I doubt, by the way, that, the, in fact, this relationship was romantic. And in either event, uh, perhaps a, another selection by ABBA, perhaps SOS. Take a chance on me. <laughs> <laughs> Might prove to be a suitable Or if uh, George theme song. Bush can be dancing in Ghana, maybe... Uh, McCain can uh, can play Dancing Queen. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, Republicans and their musical selections. I, for one, will never forget the image of Dick Cheney taking the stage to Survivor's Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Dick Cheney, he's in the eye of the tiger. He's in the eye of the tiger, and boy... So are uh, events in foreign countries. Indeed. Uh, Brazil, for one, those mischievous pixies at Halliburton. What are they up to now? Um, this is a little short item from uh, Financial Times last week. Executives at Halliburton uh, will be called to give evidence to the Brazilian police this week following the theft of computer equipment containing secret information on recent discoveries of potentially enormous 
oil and natural gas deposits. Uh, this is considered to be a matter of uh, state secrecy, and the computers disappeared while in the possession of Halliburton. <laughs> and why uh, they would have been trusted with uh, the mischievous pixies of Halliburton, I'm not really quite sure. But uh, this is something that the government of Brazil is taking very seriously and uh, look for further developments on this uh, little wrinkle. And, of course, Brazil, uh, there, there have been some uh, very public disclosures of huge oil deposits found uh, off the Brazilian uh, coastal shore. And Brazil appears to be, in, in the near future, a major uh, oil producer. Yeah, two fields listed here, the Tupi and Jupiter. The Tupi field alone is estimated to contain 5 to 8 million barrels of oil, a little less than the entire reserves of Norway. Norway, not a major producer, but still, that's a fairly substantial uh, a quantity. Yeah, and to put that into context, uh, the, quote, known reserves of American oil are, are in the range of about 20 billion barrels total. Uh, hence, the uh, under the real explanation for why we're in Iraq. Um, well, I guess while we're on the subject of oil... Uh, and we consume, incidentally, uh, annually in America about 7 billion barrels of oil, and we have to import about two-thirds of that. Yep. So, uh, And it's gone up in price. It's now over $100 a barrel. And uh, interestingly, uh, this doesn't appear to have made any real... Uh, Lifestyle changes uh, for the average Americans are still, uh, you know, students on break this week. I'm sure there's still lots of vacationing uh, going on uh, and so forth. But uh, one real serious consequence of this rise in oil price is the staggering jumps in food costs. Mm -hmm. And this is partly driven up by biofuels. Um, a misguided concept, if ever there was one. In fact, as we look for um, very soon to come, food shortages in India, China, and uh, other parts of the developing world, uh, it's going to raise questions as to whether uh, biofuel is ethically sound. Um, the price of commodities such as soybeans, rice, and wheat have surged this year to all-time highs. Corn prices have jumped to a 12-year record. Costs of coffee, cocoa, sugar, meat, poultry, dairy products also risen sharply. Um, interestingly, the amount of U.S. corn used for ethanol has gone up. From, now it's 31% of the U.S. corn crop, uh, and this represents a jump up from 25% in uh, calendar year 07. So if we're using more of our grain to produce biofuel, uh, this means less foodstuffs and less agricultural acreage uh, devoted to the creation of food. And incidentally, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, two new reports point out, and I'll just quote from the, a New York Times article on this subject uh, dated the uh, 8th of February. The first paragraph says it all. Almost all biofuels used today cause more greenhouse gas emissions than conventional fuels if the full emissions costs of producing these, quote, green fuels are taken into account, two studies published Thursday have concluded. And uh, we've talked about this before, that the uh, rush to uh, 
go uh, with biofuels is uh, misguided, at least as a massive uh, energy uh, concept for the United States of America. I certainly believe that uh, using ethanol at, in, in sm small quantities on farms, for instance, farmers that want to produce uh, ethanol to run their tractors or what have you, uh, makes uh, a lot of sense. But uh, going in, in this direction in a, in a massive way to solve America's energy needs uh, needs to be <laughs> reconsidered. And uh, interestingly, this applies uh, to the relevance of uh, ethanol, for instance, in Brazil that we just mentioned. Mm. They produce uh, their ethanol from sugarcane. And the real difference is that sugarcane produces three crops a year, whereas uh, corn is a one-shot deal. And, of course, corn requires lots of petroleum to produce. We've pointed, and water. And water. And we've pointed out that it takes uh, ten times the amount of water to produce one gallon of uh, of ethanol. So um, it may technically be a renewable energy source, but it is not cost effective. Not cost effective, and uh, it it certainly doesn't appear to be uh, anything that's going to significantly reduce greenhouse gases. Uh, though it it could uh, reduce some dependence on foreign oil, but uh, as a massive uh, sort of infrastructure concept. Uh, once again, I think, uh, you know, listen to the scientists, not the politicians that are interested in throwing uh, more subsidies uh, into the farm belt to uh, gain votes. Uh, speaking of votes, just a quick brain damage award to Ralph Nader. Um, you know, I think he's entitled to run for president. I have no problems with uh, him doing so. But uh, some of the comments that he made... Regarding, you know, it, I, he made this announcement on Meet the Press. Regarding, I, you know, I just want to focus on two things. First of all, um, in, in uh, 2000, the, the 2000 election, Ralph Nader did get 2.8 million votes, um, about 2.7% of the uh, total vote, and he was the mathematical difference in two states, New Hampshire and uh, Florida, as we, as we now know. But in the last election, it's important to realize that even after official election results were made, he only got 0.38% of the total vote. Uh, in other words, he got about 66,000 more votes than the libertarian candidate uh, that ran nationally that year. Um, so <laughs> I'm not too sure what he's thinking here. Um, the important thing about corporations and their involvement in American politics, I don't know if Ralph Nader saw the documentary, The Corporation. It came out a couple years ago. I thought it was one of the best documentaries that I've ever seen. And, of course, corporations did play a huge role uh, in politics uh, in, in the 19th century in, in benefiting the Republican Party, keeping them in power. That began to change, interestingly, in 1928. When Al Smith ran for president, there were a number of, uh, quote, corporations that decided that prohibition wasn't that good of an idea, so they began to back the Democrats. And then as a result of the inattentive Herbert Hoover, who, by the way, was a very experienced, very efficient public official. Now, when you, send, when you listen to the debate about experience in the political campaign, remember that three of the most experienced uh, presidents uh, of the 20th century were Herbert Hoover, Lyndon Johnson, and Richard Nixon. 
uh, all failed presidencies for a variety of reasons. But in any case, the corporations then uh, did start to support the Democrats uh, as well. Um, big business was an opponent of the New Deal, but there were uh, many corporations that uh, realized changes had to be made. And um, also, prohibition was a big issue in 1932. Uh, Al Smith was a wet. Herbert Hoover was a dry. FDR was a wet. Herbert Hoover was a dry. Very interesting stuff there. And, of course, ever since then, corporations have hedged their bets by supporting both sides. So I don't think that there's any particularly brilliant revelation that corporations are heavily involved in our politics. Uh, there are, of course, some laws that limit their uh, participation in the process. And, of course, the loopholes in campaign contributions, et cetera, et cetera, are readily abundant. But I just don't see corporate money as the real problem uh, in, America to, in American politics today. Um, corporations support different candidacies for different reasons. For instance, the healthcare industry and the um, high-tech industry in recent years have favored the Democrats uh, because of their proposals on uh, domestic issues primarily. Big oil and big pharma pharmacies, the pharmaceuticals, have supported the Republicans for various reasons. So at the end of the day, a lot of the, uh, the, the corporate money sort of <laughs> cancel each other out. And I think that one of the unfortunate things about Nader's candidacy at this point is that I think that John Edwards and Dennis Kucinich have carried the, the Nader agenda pretty prominently in their runs for the presidency on the Democratic side. I looked at Ralph Nader's uh, sort of big four proposals, and they were all things that Dennis Kucinich uh, advocated in the Democratic primary, and, uh, well, he got about 1% of the vote. That money plays a role in politics is indisputable. Uh, the two big Democrats to get money have been Obama and Clinton. They're still in the race, and there's rapid evidence that Hillary Clinton is having trouble staying up with Obama uh, in the fundraising department. And her candidacy really is probably going to come down to the events of the next week. She's got one more chance in the debate tomorrow in Ohio and next Tuesday. Um, whom, for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. <laughs> um, she may be pining for one of those Norwegian fjords quite soon. <laughs> um, but we'll see. Um, she's not out of it. Um, Obama, I think, will probably narrowly win Texas, but I think Hillary will probably do okay in Ohio, and whether she decides to carry on is up to her. But um, I just don't see the validity of Ralph Nader's candidacy in this particular election. The prospective Democratic nominees and John McCain, quite frankly, don't agree on anything except global warming. John McCain is a apostate, as far as the Republican Party goes, on that issue. Uh, but for the most part, uh, John McCain has flip-flopped on all of his other previous maverick positions uh, that have uh, angered the right wing of the Republican Party on tax cuts, on the judge issue. Um, he's fallen into line with the Republican orthodoxy, and I think when Nader says there aren't clear choices, I think that he's 
misleading the public here. I think that the voters have had clear choices. They just haven't gone with the Dennis Kucinich, Ralph Nader uh, agenda. Well, a couple things on on that note. But um, I have no problem with him running because I think he's probably going to get even less la- yeah, sure, than yeah. 0.38% uh, of the vote. It's late in the game, and it's probably a futile enterprise. I think, if nothing else, he's primarily doing it simply so that there will be uh, a spokesman for those left positions that, you know, Kucinich got zero media coverage. It would be interesting if we could redo the entire campaign season and provide equal coverage for even Edwards. Sure. Got minimal mainstream media coverage. And so I I think, you know, and this is a gut feeling, that the average American is more sympathetic to those positions, you know, voiced by Edwards and Kucinich, than they are even aware of themselves because the positions simply are not articulated in the mainstream media. And so... You know, that will be perhaps a value in Nader's candidacy. Um, as far as the corporate shift back and forth, that's you know historically uh, demonstrable uh, that the corporations have given to both sides, sometimes to both candidates in the same uh, campaign. Sure. Um, and I think that the writing on the wall regarding uh, the Bush administration's policies um, was glaringly clear enough to most corporations um, a couple of years ago. And we've seen uh, the the mainstream turn against the Bush agenda, mm-hmm. and so I think just for self preservation, it becomes uh, you know a preordained you know inevitability that the corporations are going to favor uh, a, a Democratic candidate regardless of whether it's Obama or Hillary. And I, I do think Nader makes a, a mildly amusing point when he says that if the uh, Democrats can't win a, in a landslide this year that they may as well pack it up and close up shop. Well, they should win in a landslide, and they would have, but they, they, they've they kind of rolled the dice and picked, while they're, quote, the front runners, both candidates have some, shall we say, gaps in the electorate that they may have trouble with uh, for a variety of reasons. And Nader overlooks the, the bias in the Electoral College that favors the Republican. Yeah. The Republican this Party, and by the way, that this bias is go- is only going to get worse uh, in a couple of years. The this this election, this 2008 election, is so critical for one big reason. It determines the gerrymandering um, numbers for yep. the, the 2000 the 2010 census, and the states that are going to lose votes are all blue states: uh, Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and probably Michigan. And the states that are going to gain these votes are Texas, Georgia, Florida, Arizona, Utah. (laughs) So, um, you know, there's probably going to be another shift of about, you know, another six or seven electoral votes that uh, will make it very difficult for the uh, Democrats to win the 2012 election, assuming that they lose this one. And McCain is in the game. I mean, he's not out of it. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, irrespective of who the Democrats pick. Hillary and Obama have their uh, various weaknesses. But to publicly proclaim that both are, quote, unacceptable, you know, I I just sort of reject that. I think that corporations, by the way, make mistakes. For instance, the big three uh, backed uh, George Bush in 2000 because of Al Gore's position on cafe Mm -hmm. standards. Uh, they would have been better off, you know, the Iraq war is what's doomed the big three. 
because the price of oil has tripled since George Bush yep. decided to uh, preemptively invade Iraq. And also, we've seen in the, in the last several years that the, the big problem for the big three, uh, and they're really now the big two, are the health care costs mm-hmm. that allow the Germans and the uh, Japanese and other uh, major international producers to have an enormous cost advantage over American producers. It's, it's $1,500 per car. That's significant. So the big three now have realized, well, gee, let's forget about this cafe business. And maybe the Democrats are better for our, our corporations for a variety of reasons. But that's neither here nor there. As for Ralph Nader, I wish him well. I, I, you know, I, I think that he's perfectly he, – he will hurt Hillary Clinton. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that because what's now emerging from the results is that she just cannot win white men. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see how he's going to steal votes from Obama, though. I now the youth there. the youth numbers for Obama are very interesting, and also the intellectual, yeah, the, the so-called intellectuals, the so-called McGovern Humphrey battle right. that, that we're still witnessing here in the Democratic uh, um, primaries. Uh, and it's interesting to note, by the way, that McGovern did beat Humphrey in '72. Um, you know that dynamic in the Democratic Party is That's still true. there. And I think that um, Ralph Nader is incorrect when he equates the two parties as the same because they take corporate money. This has been going on for decades. And in the case of uh, the Republicans, it's been going on for, well, since the end of the Civil War. Another matter entirely separate from this and, you know, regarding the history of the relationship between corporations and politics in this country is uh, one of the great errors that the country ever made was to legally recognize corporate personhood. Yeah. And that, that's, but that's another, another topic for another time. Another topic, but the significance of it is, let's remember that this, the, this was done during a Republican-dominated right. era. That Supreme Court was dominated by Republican thinking, and that's uh, hence the, the reason that uh, corporations were recognized as persons. And that um, spending on campaigns is called free speech, uh, as we've seen in recent years by the same coalition on the Supreme Court, which, by the way, is seven to nine. Seven out of nine have been appointed by Republican presidents. And Roe v. Wade does certainly hang in the balance, among other things. The only state, by the way, where I think Nader would even uh, damage the Democrats is, ironically, New Hampshire again, because... uh, it's just interesting to note that in 2000 he was uh, he was the difference in the uh, um, nomination the, the margin of victory there. He got 22,000 votes in New Hampshire, and uh, Bush won by 7,000 votes. And in uh, 2004 he got nearly 5,000 votes, and Kerry won New Hampshire by 9,000 votes. So. Mm-hmm. He could play a role in New Hampshire, but I think that's the only state. Interestingly, the Financial Times, which uh, at the beginning of the year was predicting that Hillary Clinton would be the next president, uh, is now in an opinion piece suggesting that the wise thing for her to do is to concede and to campaign for Obama against McCain Mm -hmm. and to position herself as uh, basically the kind of senator that Johnson was. Sure. Um, the mover and the shaker, the most powerful majority senator. Um, 
she would be a much better majority leader than than uh, Mr. Reed from Nevada. He's sort of a for a number of reasons, meek yeah. and mild kind yeah. of guy. And and you know Hillary Clinton, I think, irrespective. I mean, there's just simply a bias against her. It's in well, the media. Well, she can run again. You know, in four years, yeah. should Obama lose this time or another eight? She's not that old. It's um, in it's in the media, and it's also the, you know the way she sounds sometimes. It's that. T- school teachers shrill 